You may be seated. Last night, um, I had one of those epiphanies, and at least my wife is always thankful when I do. And that is, I uh, decided that the three points of the sermon today were not going to be able to be compressed in a communion service sermon length. So we're just going to be doing points one and two, um, and um, we're, we're, we're trusting, we're praying um, that the Holy Spirit would engage with us uh, and give us, uh, give us his ministry today through the word uh, as, as he speaks to us. And so turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 8. I will read, uh, the, um, I will read uh, chapter 8 verses 1 through 11. Let me lead us in prayer before I read. We call upon you, our God and Father, since all fullness of wisdom and light is found in you, mercifully enlighten us by your Holy Spirit in the true understanding of your word. Amen. Romans 8, 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Um, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Amen. Many times I have been in a service station uh, or uh, down in Haars in Elmer uh, to get a tire changed. And uh, you, you hear the, the piercing bursts of air as that wrench loosens those sticky lug nuts. I know there have been times when I have tried to take off a tire of my, on my own and you put, the, you put the wrench in that lug nut you twist it. At times I have jumped on a wrench. That is not a wise thing to do. 
but you go down there to, uh, to the service station and they've got these powerful wrenches that can, that can remove the most snug lug nut. They are called pneumatic, perhaps you can sense where we're going already, they're called pneumatic impact wrenches. And it is by the power of that compressed air, up to 90 pounds uh, per square inch, that they're able to loosen the lug, lug nuts. Now, the Hebrew and Greek word for spirit is also wind and is also breath. And we understand that the Holy Spirit is God's power in action. Uh, It is God's power on the move. He makes things. He changes things. He gives new birth through the power of the Spirit. Now, those wrenches that we talked about, we can call them pneumatized wrenches. And you, if your trust, your faith is in Jesus Christ, you are a pneumatized person. God lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Another reason why Jesus says, it really is better that I go. It really is to your advantage that I go. Because God's Spirit will indwell you. God's Spirit will spiritualize you. God's Spirit will pneumatize you. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you know the one who lives in you? You oftentimes cannot feel his presence or are aware of it. You don't feel spiritualized. You don't feel pneumatized with that power of the pneuma, the spirit. You're a lot more comfortable saying, I know God the Father. I know his love. I know his forgiveness. You're a lot more comfortable saying, I know Jesus, my shepherd, my friend, the one who died for me. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Some people are content with just saying this. I'll just read the Bible. The Bible tells me so, and I'll trust that. It is interesting. Yes, of course, we are to do that. But that is not how Jesus urges us in relationship to the Spirit. Jesus says the world doesn't know him, but you do. The world hasn't seen him, but you have. You do know him, and then listen to his rationale, for he dwells in you. He's that close, you know him because he's in you. He dwells with you, Jesus said, and will be in you. How do you know the Spirit? Yes, the Bible tells us so. But you also know the Spirit because he dwells in you and will be with you. We are going in a direction, how do we put this? There is, there is certainly an orthodox view of the Holy Spirit. We can be content 
with knowing that orthodox view of the Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is the one who applies the redemption of Jesus Christ to our hearts. We know that. We love that. That is true. That is glorious. That is not the same thing, however, as knowing the Spirit. Do you know him? Do you perceive his working in you? Are you grieved when you grieve him? Do you at times sense an overpowering ministry of the Spirit to help you achieve things that you felt were impossible? Perhaps, most of all, perhaps most of all, Are you aware of the Spirit's beautifying Jesus in your heart? It's often been said that the Holy Spirit is like a spotlight. And you might see a spotlight shining up on a church when you're driving by at night. The light shines up on a steeple or a cross and all you see is that cross or that steeple. You do not see the light. You do not see it hidden beneath those bushes there. All you see is what it lights up. A major part, a major part, not the only part, is to beautify Jesus. Do you see that going on? If he is, as we might say, a house guest living inside us, if he is in fact a house guest, I suspect many of you can say, I wish I knew him better. I wish I knew him better. And that is my prayer for me. And it is my prayer for you and for us as we continue embarking on this series on the Holy Spirit. Part two of the indwelling Spirit next week and then a little bit later on, the Spirit who illumines not only the Word of God but our hearts. The Spirit that intercedes for us in our weakness. We need to know the Spirit. Well, these uh, couple of verses that we're looking at today, um, really verses uh, 9 and 10 now of Romans chapter 8, we're just we're going to make a couple, of, a couple of points about this. Yes, the Spirit in, it dwells inside you. The Spirit dwells inside you. One of the ways that we can look at that is we can say that you have been relocated. You are not where you once were. You have been relocated. Once you were in Adam, Adam was your head, your representative in the covenant. Um, you were following Adam into sin, uh, into the, it's both guilt and misery. You were following him into death. You lived, as, as this passage says, according to the flesh. But now, if you're trusting in Christ, you're one of his, you are of the Spirit, And verse 5 says, you are according to the Spirit. I I took a little liberty with the ESV text in reading it this morning because it literally does not, it does not say for those who live according to the Spirit. It's, It's more fundamental than that. It says those who are according to the Spirit. That's an identity issue, not a, a, a task to fulfill. You are of the Spirit. You are or according to the Spirit. You are located in the realm of the Spirit. You are pneumatized by the resurrection. 
you are therefore a citizen of the age to come. If you belong to Christ, you have his spirit. You are in what we might call the fully pneumatized Messiah, the fully pneumatized Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He dwells in you through the Spirit. If you belong to Christ, the Spirit belongs to you full stop. Look, at me, look with me to Isaiah chapter, uh, verse, uh, chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. I want you to read along with me or listen to my voice as I, as, I, as I read these verses. It is the Spirit of God coming upon the Messiah, coming behind, beyond or upon the one to whom we are united by faith. This is the Spirit working in the one to whom you are united. And the Spirit of the Lord Isaiah 11.2, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. What is he like? The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Uh, this Spirit-indwelled Christ is yours. And to whatever extent it might be, you are beginning to taste those gifts, the wisdom, the knowledge, the counsel, the fear of the Lord. We are never in the scripture commanded, we are never commanded to be indwelled by the Spirit. It is true, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. We are never commanded to be indwelled by the Spirit. We are to pray for fresh empowerment to meet a particular need. We are to pray for what we might call pneumatized or spiritualized, spirit-empowered service. And there are times in my own life when, I've, when I have sent the overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit. At times I have encountered God in praying. And have even found, I just can't go on. I just have to stop. The presence of God is breathtaking. And at times it is often, it is times it is scary. That is, that is the, the spirit, the, in, the filling of the spirit. But feelings come and go. Indwelling is a fact. It is a present reality. If you belong to Christ, you have his spirit. Therefore, you have the spirit for keeps. You have the spirit for keeps. Christians sometimes have been confused and even traumatized by Psalm 51. We remember there that with Nathan's help, David began to see more clearly, more vividly, finally at last, began to see the horror of his sin with, against Bathsheba and against Uriah. He has a fresh glimpse of the holiness of God and the horror of his own sin. And so he prays out, he says, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, could David lose the Spirit? And if David could lose the Spirit, perhaps you could too. We take this instead to be his recognition that the Spirit, um, that his sin is so repugnant that he's, 
he could he could wonder if the Holy Spirit could re- re- refuse to live in him. I don't think that's what's going on here, though. I think David might have, or would probably felt like his sin could have disqualified him for the ongoing responsibility to fulfill as king of, of, of Israel. Uh, Saul went through that experience. He was ejected from office, lost the spirit to the extent that he was uh, gifted by the spirit to, to rule. But, but that's not what David's point is here. He's drawing instead, as we see in, in, Psalm, in Psalm 51, he's drawing attention instead to the personal fellowship that he enjoyed with the spirit that was jeopardized by his sin. Verses 11 and 12, cast me not away from your presence. That's what, he, that's what would terrorize him, to be removed from the presence of God. And take not your Holy Spirit, who, the one who works that awareness of presence in me, Restore to me instead the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. We might make this same prayer request. Lord, restore to me the joy that I desire as I see Christ crucified for me. Yes, your heart too might be deeply stained with guilt and shame, but you're asking for the spirit to rinse it of its condemning thoughts. Rinse it of its condemning ideas and instead enlarge my heart. David says, give me a willing spirit, a delight to obey you. You cannot lose the spirit. You don't move in and out of being in Christ and he in you. If you belong to Christ, you have the spirit you have been pneumatized. It's really important to get that because of where we're going next. You have the Spirit in you, but that Spirit stirs up the battle within. Where do Christians get the idea that the Spirit lifts you somehow above the conflict, the spiritual conflict of this world in our own hearts? Yes, we have the spirit of life, this text says. Because of righteousness, notice that, because of righteousness, it is the past righteousness that Christ won for us on the cross that is ours by faith. It is the present imparting of Christ's righteousness to us by the spirit as we grow in holiness. And it is that future righteousness for which we hope when the glory of Christ will be revealed and will be brought into the very presence of God and washed and cleansed and and clothed in that white linen garment. That's coming. And that's the fullness of the life-giving Spirit. But the passage also says the body is dead because of sin. We're in a battle because we've got this body that is, while it's dead because of sin, sin has not been destroyed. Harry and I have been having a lot of fun going through the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, using um, Chad Van Dixorn's uh, wonderful commentary on the confession. And a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago, we were looking at sanctification. And this is how, this is how the confession describes it. It is a continual and irre- irreconcilable war. Doesn't sound like just joy and peace all the time, does it? A continual and irreconcilable war. 
Chad Van Dixorn uh, comments that that battlefield could, prime, could take, take place primarily, he mentions three areas, in our minds, in our bodies, and in our, from our tongues. And I want you, I, I, it's very important for each of us to understand where, what, what our battlefield is. Is it what you think? Is it indulging of the flesh? Is it the, the wicked words that, that come out of your mouth? What is your battlefield where you're experiencing continual and irreconcilable war? Remember, we looked uh, some months, some years ago. We looked at we looked at Romans chapter seven eighteen. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. The new man has. I've got the new mind, but I've got this this carcass that I drag around that draws me away from the beauty of holiness. Uh, verse 23, I see the members waging, uh, member, I see my members uh, um, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. We're no longer in Adam, but these acts of the flesh are against our new desires. Our confession cites uh, Galatians 5.17, the flesh is lusting against the spirit and the spirit is lusting against the flesh. Uh, Richard Lovelace, a dynamics of spiritual life, has, has written about this battle, this spiritual battle. One of the points he makes is that um, we are constantly getting bulletins uh, from the pulpit, <laughs> from our reading of scripture, from one another. We're constantly getting bulletins about our call to righteousness that we need to behave. But we are also very aware of our failures and our flesh as it is energized against this righteousness. And he makes this stunning comment that we can display our flesh more as Christians than even we did before we were saved. The conflict is greater. The conflict is intensified. Remember those, those bulletins of righteousness that we keep getting. We're supposed to be obedient, and yet we know we're not. That leaves us... In, in a traumatic position, our minds, therefore, are affected. We sometimes find it almost impossible to admit that we've made a mistake. It's in front of the world, in front of everybody, and we just can't say the words, I did it. I'm sorry. It almost kills us. And in the suppression of that truth, our bodies can be brought in, and we can, we can satisfy that longing that we have uh, by indulging our flesh because of the pressure of that obedience. You know what that's like. I have come home from meetings at late at night and, and there is this sound emanating from my freezer. And it's called a half gallon of ice cream. And I can, I can hear it when I'm walking through the door, calling my name. Indulgence, man, you've earned it. Sock it away. Or our tongues. Our our tongues are the expression of our hearts. And it's so easy for our tongues to flash into defensiveness as easily as we breathe. That's the battle. The battle that is continual and irreconcilable. The the Spirit heightens the conflict in each of these three uh, battlegrounds. 
This is something else Richard Lovelace says about this. We, we can be more obnoxious in a state of grace than we are in a state of nature. <laughs> this battle is so great. Well, so what here? Okay, you have the Spirit, so it's a battle that you will win. You have the Spirit, so it is a battle that you will win. Verse 11 goes on to say how you'll win. You win here by, by, by faith uh, through the Spirit, but you'll win later uh, by, the, by your, your bodies being uh, restored and renewed. You have the Spirit, so it's a battle that you will win. Um, you do have a past life in Adam. You do. And uh, you are influenced at times by that past life. Things that you used to do, things that you used to enjoy, things that gave you a sense of release, a sense of relief. You are certainly influenced by your past life in Adam. But hear this, my dear friends, you are not controlled by it. You have memories of where you used to live, where you used to live, what you used to do. You have memories uh, that, but they do not have power over you today. The only power your memories have is the power that you give to them. You are in the spirit. You are influenced by your past life in Adam, but he and your flesh does not control you. Um, Christ is in you by the Spirit. And this is a little bit more of what it means. You are in Christ and you are intertwined with his holy and triumphant life now and forever through the Spirit. And so the Spirit is, is close by and he shapes you and he's empowering your personality from the inside out so that the characteristics of Jesus are taking root and bearing fruit. So let's work at this, walking by the Spirit, so that you will not gratify the things of the flesh. That's what we'll work on for the next two or three minutes here, walking by the Spirit and not gratifying the things, the desires of the flesh. As Romans 8, 6 says, uh, so set your mind on the Spirit, and that is life and peace. That's where we're heading. We're heading to life and peace. Uh, Verse 9 says, those who walk in the flesh cannot please God. Well, let's flip that around. Those who walk in the flesh cannot please God. How about this? Those who walk in the Spirit certainly can please God. Certainly can. And will please God. And the Spirit is is at work in you and me. We wish it were more quickly. We wish it were quicker than it often is. But the Spirit works. His grace works. Grace plus time equals holiness. Grace plus time is growing holiness. But I want you to think about your repeated failures. I want, to th- want you to think about those things that have frustrated you, the things about which you've just given up. Maybe they're wicked thoughts. Maybe they're that indulgent, dehumanizing behavior you have. Maybe they are the attack words that come out of your mouth. I want you to think about those areas of frustration. They have defeated you in the past. And you feel that they have power stronger than what they have. You don't have to go there. You don't have to do that. You are a pneumatized person. No longer in Adam. 
You don't have to do that. If you are, if you have been struggling with something for a long period of time or just hassled by your flesh in ways that you can't extricate yourself, I'm going to say right now it's pretty sure uh, that you have not been setting your mind adequately on the Spirit. That's one thing. Set your mind on the Spirit and you, you will not then gratify the flesh. That's the, that's the urging here to set your mind on the Spirit. God lives in you and with you in the glorious compassion and power of Jesus Christ. If you are remaining ensnared, two things are probably true. You're, I'm pretty sure you're not setting your mind on the Spirit. And I'm pretty sure you don't hate that sin yet. There's something about it that draw, you draw comfort from. You're still feeding that flesh. Well then, what do we do to walk in the Spirit? First of all, we listen to the Spirit. The Spirit tells us in Romans 8, verse 2, that you are free. That was in, that was in the hymn that we sang at the beginning. You're free. It's in, the, it's in the hymn that we sang. It's a psalm that we sang. You are free. So don't follow David in one way. Don't follow David by, by um, giving in to the hook of the eyes. Flee before it hooks you. Um, you are aware of it, perhaps. You're, you know that it's coming, but avoid it, turn away. Think with the mind of the Spirit, not with the flesh. Did you hear that? Think with the mind of the Spirit. You're a pneumatized person. Don't think with the, the mind or the attitude or the impulses of the flesh. Flee it before it hooks you. Don't follow David. Flee it before it hooks you. But follow David in this, in humble confession, in embracing honesty before God that slays your pride. Embracing honesty before God that slays your pride. And here's something that's going to sound really strange to you, but hang in there. See your repeated failures as opportunities to practice walking by the Spirit. We can, we can view our repeated failures as just, as, as just the way life is and I can't change. But instead, view those repeated failures as practice for how to walk by the Spirit. You confess it. You say, Lord, help me hate it more. Can you say that? Help me hate it more? And you confess it before the Lord. But please hear this. Do not stop there. We don't want mopey Christians. We, we, the Spirit doesn't want mopey Christians. Continue your prayer. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy that we have in Jesus. Restore to me the joy of your presence. People, it is just a depressing thing 
to know your sin without knowing the refreshment of grace. It is just depressing. Have you been there too? (laughs) I have. (laughs) Battle. Do battle, you pneumatized Christians. Do battle. And you can win because Christ has won for you. Let us pray. Lord, we're, um, we're asking for your spirit uh, to rest upon us and to uh, mold us and shape us, form new desires, form new habits of righteousness. We pray that you would enable us to keep in step with the spirit by living humbly before you. Lord, uh, we ask for your grace upon us to know this spirit whom you've described as one living in us and living, walking with us. Let us know how to hear his voice. Respond in faith and obedience and love. For it's in his name that we pray.